Welcome to the London First Baptist Church podcast. This is the Sunday morning service of April 14th from Pastor Brett Cottrell. I want to invite you to open up your copy of God's Word to the book of Ezekiel. I'll give you a couple minutes to find that. (laughs) Ezekiel, we're going to be in chapter 37 this morning. We have been looking at the last few weeks as we prepare for Resurrection Sunday at, do we see the resurrection? Do we see the crucifixion? Do we see the Messiah in the Old Testament? When Jesus was on the road to Emmaus, for example, and talking with those two men as they walked on that road after his crucifixion and resurrection, as the Bible says, he showed them throughout the scriptures all that these things had to happen. They pointed to the Messiah. Well, what are some of those things? So we've been looking in the last few weeks at just a couple of things. These are by no means an exhaustive list of scriptures. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at the story of Abraham and Isaac, and we saw in that a pattern. We saw in that some things that pointed us towards who Christ was and what he would do. We saw last week as we looked at the story of Joseph, that in that story we see a foreshadowing, a pattern, again, that should point us to what the work of the Messiah was going to be. We saw that God provides, and we saw that God forgives. This morning, as we are in Ezekiel chapter 37, we're going to see that God tells us to expect a resurrection. God provides, God forgives, and God resurrects. Now, how important is the resurrection? As we turn to Ezekiel 37, Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says that unless Christ is resurrected from the dead, we have no reason to meet. If there is no resurrection, there's no point in us being here. If there's no resurrection, Paul says that you and I, as we gather together, are of all people most to be pitied, that we should just go home. So if the resurrection is that important, did God give us any indication before Jesus shows up The resurrection was on the horizon. I believe that he did. Even as we go to the Gospel of Mark, we've already seen once in our series in Mark that God, or that Jesus told the disciples that he was going to be persecuted, that he was going to be crucified, and that he was going to resurrect. We'll see in the coming months as we continue through Mark and later on this month in the summer that Jesus told them two more times, three total times, Jesus told his disciples that he would in fact suffer be crucified, and resurrect. So what is going on here? That God has given us an inkling before the arrival of Christ that resurrection would play a part. Ezekiel chapter 37, we're going to read the first 14 verses. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. He caused me to pass among them round about, and behold, There were very many on the surface of the valley, and lo, they were very dry. He said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Again he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you that you may come to life. I will put sinews on you and make flesh grow back on you cover you with skin and put breath in you that you may come alive and you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise and behold, a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked and behold, 
sinews were on them, and flesh grew and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they come to life. So I prophesied as he commanded me. And the breath came into them, and they came to life and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, Our bones are dried up and our hope is perished. We are completely cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves, my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves and caused you to come up out of your graves, my people. I will put my spirit within you and you will come to life and I will place you on your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and done it, declares the Lord. Heavenly Father, as we come to this remarkable passage, as we try to imagine what it must have been like for Ezekiel to see this, may you open our minds and hearts to what you would have us to know about who you are and what you are doing even today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In the Garden of Eden, obviously many years before the life of Ezekiel, the first man and woman, Adam and Eve, lived in paradise. They had paradise not because Eden was simply a beautiful place to live, but they had paradise not simply because they had enough food to eat, and really good food probably on top of that. But that, those aren't the only reasons that Eden was paradise. It was paradise because God was there. Because Adam and Eve had a chance to fellowship and to talk to and see God, if you will, face to face. And he warned them that if they were to disobey and to be rebellious against him, that they would lose that and that they would die. They rebelled. The Bible says that sin entered into the world, and as a result of sin entering into the world, so did death. So death entered the world, and they were expelled from paradise, and they lost not only immortality, so to speak, but they lost the presence, the, real, the very real direct presence of God. Now, for you and I, death is seen as a natural part of life, right? We know that everyone dies. We, we talk about it. We know that it's kind of normal. We see it as natural. But the truth is, death is a curse. Some of you may have heard of a movie called The Lion King. And there's some, there's some music that's pretty well known from The Lion King. There's one in particular called The Circle of Life. How many of you, I'm, I'm sure there are some of you who could probably sing the words, The Circle of Life, right? The Circle of Life. And we don't, we're not going to sing it this morning, by the way. This idea that life brings death, brings life, it's a natural part of life. And it's a cool movie, it's a great song, and there's not a word of truth to it. Because death is not a natural part of God's creation, it's in fact a curse of our sin upon creation. Death is not something that we should embrace as just a part of life. It's not some simple companion. It's not a partner to make peace with. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul again says that death is the last enemy. The Bible says that death is our enemy. Now, I'm not saying we don't celebrate the life of someone who has passed and who has died, but death itself is not our friend. It is a curse and a punishment. It's the result of humanity's 
rebellion against God. And in fact, death is a daily reminder that we as a human race, that Adam and Eve and then you and I have turned our backs on God and are enduring the consequences of that rebellion. Death is a curse. It's a reminder that we have strayed from God's plan. Ezekiel chapter 37 here comes across a valley of death. He sees a valley full of dry bones, of thousands and thousands. We don't know the number, but it is a mass grave, if you will. Dry bones. Now, that would be starting, that would be kind of horrifying in and of itself. Can you imagine a dream, if you will? Can you imagine a, a vision where you wake up, and, or you're in this vision, you are in a, a mountainous valley, and you are knee-deep in bones? That would be a nightmare, wouldn't it? You would wake up from that dream probably in a cold sweat. Well, that's where Ezekiel finds himself in this vision from God. And not only is he surrounded by death, but we know that, Israel, that Ezekiel served a role as a priest and as a prophet in the nation of Israel. That means he was not allowed to touch dead things because he would be ceremonially unrighteous and unclean. So now Ezekiel is not only in this valley of a horrifying nightmare, He's also unclean as he stands in this valley of dry bones. I don't know about you. I, one of the things I asked this week as I was reading this is, what valley is he talking about? Does it matter what this valley is? What, he just says the valley, like we're supposed to know where this is at. Well, I don't know for sure where this is at, but there's, a, I think, a big hint in the, in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah, in chapter 7 of his, of his prophecies, talks about, a valley called Hinnom. Hinnom. And in this, in this uh, passage, I'm going to read it for you in Jeremiah chapter 7, he speaks of something very similar to what Ezekiel sees. In, in Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 30, it says this, God says this, The sons of Judah have done that which is evil in my sight, declares the Lord. They have set their detestable things in the house which is called by my name to defile it. They have built the high places of Topheth, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to burn their sons and their daughters in the fire, which I did not command, and it did not come into my mind. Therefore, behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when it will no longer be called Topheth, or the valley of the son of Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter. For they will bury in Topheth, because there is no other place. The dead bodies of this people will be food for the birds of the sky and for the beasts of the earth, and no one will frighten them away. And then I will make to cease from the cities of Judah and from the streets of Jerusalem the voice of joy and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, for the land will become a ruin. The valley of Hinnom runs on the west side of the city of Jerusalem and then far south. And even in Jesus' day, the valley of Hinnom was a trash dump. It's where they dumped all their garbage and all their waste to burn it. And Jeremiah, one thing we find out is about that valley, Hinnom, that runs to the west and southwest of Jerusalem, was a place that some people in Israel were making human child sacrifices to the gods of Molech. In fact, the scripture records that at least two kings of Israel sacrificed their own children in a human sacrifice to the god Molech in that valley. And God tells Jeremiah, I am sick of that. I did not command that. And Judah will pay for that. And the 
valley will become the valley of slaughter. Their bones will rest in that valley. I don't know for sure, but I have a hunch that what Ezekiel sees is that valley full of bones. And so not only is that bones, are those bones dead, those are bones that represent sinful, craven, idolatrous people who have turned their backs on God. The people of Israel who did that. God's people. And so Ezekiel sees this horrifying result of death and idolatry, a place that Jesus in his day would refer to as Gehenna, a symbol of hell itself. So this vision on a number of levels to Ezekiel is most likely horrifying, nightmarish. By the way, this is what death and separation from God is. When we turn our backs on God, when we sin, when we declare ourselves to be our own gods, to do what we want to do apart from God, this is what it's like. This is what it means to be separated from God. It's not just the loss of Eden. It's not just the loss of God's presence. It is a horrifyingly nightmarish death scene. That's where we are, no matter what our heritage is, separated from God. That's what Ezekiel is seeing here. Death, <coughs> excuse me, death is a curse. It's the result of sin. And we need to recognize what death is. It may seem natural to us because you and I have seen nothing but the cycle of life and death repeated over and over and over again. But I want us to understand this morning as we look at the Old Testament, as we look towards the Messiah, death and our sin that caused death is not the end of the vision, and it's not the end of God's activity. There is something more to come. God speaks to Ezekiel, and he says, what do you see, and can these bones live? You've got to love Ezekiel's response here in verse 3. Can these bones live? And if it was me, I'm going to say, well, no. <laughs> but Ezekiel, confronted by what he sees, he has the right answer. God, only you know the answer to that. That's a great answer full of humility and a heart before God. God, only you know that. And I, I've got to be thinking God's going, yeah, good answer. Only, Lord, you know. So God commands him to prophesy or to preach or to proclaim to these bones. Now, that's an interesting idea, isn't it? What would you expect if you preached to a bunch of bones? Yeah, that. Silenced. <laughs> you wouldn't expect a response, would you? You've heard the old expression that talk to someone's like talking to the wall. What it means? It means they don't respond and they don't say anything. They don't, and you wouldn't expect any response talking to dead people, would you? I'm not trying to be overly funny here. I'm not even trying to be uh, disrespectful. I'm just trying to make the point. God tells Ezekiel to preach to bones. Sounds a little foolish, doesn't it? Sounds a little perhaps even out of place and silly. You know, Ezekiel's words, by the way, in and of themselves, were not going to have any effect on those bones. It was going to be the power of the Spirit of God who were going to do that. And we know, we've already read through what happens. We know that God Himself will cause, in fact, new life and resurrection in these bones. It's important for us even this morning to understand that you and I, before Christ, without God's work in our lives, we are before God as those who are dead. 
That's who we are. We are spiritually dead. Paul calls us that. And Paul also says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He said it is that it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to bring about the gospel and to bring about resurrection. Now here's what that means. We can look at Ezekiel and go, man, that was kind of a silly idea to be talking to a bunch of dead bones out there. And the truth is, this world looks at even what we're talking about. It looks at preaching from the pulpit. It looks at you talking to people about the gospel. It looks at the conversation about Christ. The world looks upon those things as foolishness. But Paul says, and God's Word says, it is the power of God to salvation. God uses things that this world says are foolish and silly to accomplish His purposes. That doesn't mean that you and I have an excuse to be lazy and irresponsible and, and uh, uh, lackadaisical with the things that He's given us. It doesn't mean that we're irresponsible with His Word or with our proclamation of His Word. It does mean this, that the power of what you and I are engaged in as Christians and as a church is not from ourselves, but from God Himself. You and I don't resurrect lives. You and I don't make people saved. You and I don't save ourselves. God does that. God resurrects. God gives breath. God gives salvation. God does all those things, not you and I. So Ezekiel, he says, you preach. If we uh, were to look at the Gospels, John chapter 12, a man by the name of Lazarus has died. If you remember the story, Jesus walks up to the grave and he says, Lazarus, come out. Again, what are everyone else expecting? What's everyone else expecting when Jesus talks to the grave? Probably not much. In fact, some of them think he's a little bit foolish and they kind of feel sorry for Jesus talking. He's been dead four days. And yet it was the power of God's Word that resurrected Lazarus. God uses sometimes the foolish things of this world to accomplish His purposes. That, that right there should lead us, even as we are approaching Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, even as we think about maybe inviting someone next Sunday, or even as we talk, think about perhaps sharing with someone the gospel, or even as we think about what God has done in our own life or in the lives of those around us, it should drive us to, to understand that only God does things. It should drive us to prayer. If you remember, before Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, it says that he prayed. Ezekiel here is talking to the Lord. That's prayer. I mentioned earlier a while ago that son, uh, the Friday afternoon, this, this coming Friday, Good Friday, is going to be a day of prayer for us. When we, have, we have these 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. We have these half-hour slots, and we're going to have, we're going to have uh, resources in the prayer room for you to come in and spend that 30 minutes or however long you sign up for to pray. We're going to give you some resources to lead you in prayer. The sanctuary, this building right here that we're all in right now, is going to be open all day long from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. for prayer. So whether you're in the prayer room or whether you didn't get signed up or you can't be in there for 30 minutes and you want to come in here and pray, if you want to invite someone from our community to come in here and let them know they can come in and just pray, this building will be open and will be a place of prayer on Friday. Not because we want to appear religious, but because you and I know that anything that will happen next weekend only happens if God does it. So we beg and we plead and we say to our God, so that people will know that you are the Lord, will you make dead bones alive? 
That's our prayer for this week. That's our prayer when you walk into Walmart on Monday or Tuesday to buy that ham for Easter Sunday. When you go and fill up gas, when you talk to your neighbor, when you're talking to somebody at work, the prayer is, God, would you bring before me those who need to be made spiritually alive so that I can speak to them your word and that your spirit would resurrect them to new life and to salvation. We pray, we beg, God, would you do these things so that they will know that you are the Lord. Because apart from the work of God, all there is for us, death. The valley of dry bones. But for those who are in Christ, God speaks and sinews form and flesh grows and eventually the Spirit comes in. As we see this passage, we begin with death. That's what Ezekiel sees, what we talked about first, because we are confronted with this, a picture of the effects of sin. This valley shows us the result of our sin before God. Death, dry bones. But this vision also shares with us this truth, that God is not defeated by death. In fact, God defeats death. Ephesians chapter 2, through the Apostle Paul, God tells us that you and I as Christians, that we were once dead in our sin, and that apart from God's intervention, we would stay dead in our sins. You and I, we can look out at our world today, and we can find all kinds of problems. We can find education problems. We can find economic problems. We can find political problems. We can find military problems. We can find social problems. We can see kids being violent towards kids. We see parents being violent towards their children, and children being violent towards their parents. We see a society that seems sometimes to be falling apart at the seams, and probably actually is. And we look at all these problems, but here's the deal. Our problems this morning, the world's problems, the United States' problems are not primarily economic. They're, prim- they're not primarily educational. They're pro- primarily political. They are spiritual. We are a people whether we are Americans or whether we're citizens of this world, however you want to phrase it, we are a people, we are a race of dead, dry bones. And the only solution to that is God's Spirit resurrecting us. So Ezekiel sees this horrifying nightmare of death and following God's directions, he sees them come to life. A fallen Race, a fallen set of individuals who were based before God, brought to life in resurrection. These passages that we talked about, Ephesians and John, but this passage this morning, Ezekiel 37, leads us to this that we are, you and I, completely dependent upon the work of God. We can do nothing of ourselves. We need to know the horror of death, the horror of the graveyard. The shame, the lifely, the lifelessness, the hopelessness, the curse of death. To realize that we live in a valley of dry bones and death in this world. But that that death is not the final word. In the immediate future of Ezekiel's world, and, and by the way, Ezekiel 
lived in the era when the nation of Israel and Judah had been taken captive by King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. And as the Israelites were taken captive and dragged off to Babylon, they saw themselves as dead. And they lost hope and they began to wonder, well, maybe the God that we believed in all these years and all these promises that God had made to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob and to Moses, maybe we were mistaken, maybe we were wrong, and maybe we are, in fact, hopeless. That's what many of them were thinking. And so God came to Ezekiel in part to tell the people of Israel, no, there will be a day when I bring you back and give you new life. And that was the short term. But in the long term, what God is telling us today is that, yes, we as a human race have rebelled against God. We are defeated by death and we are in a valley of dry bones. We are those dry bones. And we might think as we look at the world and look at our lives that there really isn't any hope. There isn't anything out there. There's no meaning. There's no purpose. And yet God would tell us that's not the case. That there are those who can be resurrected and given new life and new hope. And that you and I have the hope, not only of a spiritual resurrection for the moment that we come to faith in Christ, but you and I will have a day when physical death itself is defeated. Death is not something to make friends with. Death is something to be conquered, to be defeated, and to be overcome. When we looked at Joseph's story last week, we saw that even the idea of him being thrown into the pit before he was sold into slavery, the terminology was this idea of being going down. It's similar terminology to the idea of how they described death. The people of Israel saw themselves as dead in captivity. Jesus himself, as he's preaching to those around him, takes the story of Jonah. And as he spends those three days, as Jonah does, in the belly of the whale, Jesus says that represents what he will go through, his own death. We see death and resurrection as something the Old Testament speaks about. And Jesus knows that. We can look at Psalm 16. We can look at Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 13. In all these passages, we would see that the pattern of death and resurrection is something that God's been a part of from the very beginning. So as Jesus walked on the road to Emmaus and he told those two men, here are the scriptures and here are what they said about me. He could have, he could have pointed them to the story of Abraham and Isaac and says, God will provide for his people. He could have pointed them to the story of Joseph and says, God will forgive his people. And he could point to the Ezekiel and any number of others like Jonah and he says, God will resurrect his people. See, all these things had to happen. So as even we look forward to next Sunday and the celebration of the resurrection, we can look back and say, look, God told us he was a God who provides. He told us he's a God who forgives. And he told us he's a God who's not defeated by death, but instead conquers it. We are not defeated. We don't make peace with death. We conquer it. We are overcomers. Death has always been our enemy. The funerals for those who believe in Christ, while we may not want to make peace with death, are times of joy because we know we were not defeated by death. Your sin this morning does not defeat God's plan. 
our sin as a human race cannot overcome God's power. Yes, we have introduced death into the world, and yes, we suffer the consequences of death. But God has looked at death and said, you have no place in my kingdom, and I will defeat you. And on a Sunday that we'll mark next week, not to spoil the story, on a Sunday, after Christ had endured the suffering, after he had endured death, God woke him up. Death was defeated. Death, where is your sting? Death, where is your victory? Our mortal enemy is toothless. And that's the reason we celebrate.